Hello and welcome to Tactical as a Mother, a podcast produced by and for military women. I'm Samantha and I'm here with my co-host and wife, Alyssa. Hey everyone. We're both army officers, new moms to a beautiful baby boy, and fitness and outdoor enthusiasts living in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. Our goal with this podcast is to explore the female experience in a tactical career field through expert advice and shared experience. We'll be interviewing female military leaders as well as professionals in the realms of physical training, performance nutrition, and mental fortitude to discuss performance optimization and that ever-elusive work-life balance at every stage of a tactical career. So thanks for joining us today. We're glad you're along for the ride. On today's podcast, Sam and I interview Major Robin Cox, a military intelligence officer, tactical games podium finisher, and mother of two. A quick warning, this episode contains some adult language and discussion that may be triggering to some people, including talk about depression and suicidal thoughts. Please remember that help is available. If you are struggling with depression or thoughts of suicide, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24 hours a day at 800-273-8255. What you hear in this episode are the views of the participants and don't represent the Army or any other agency of the U.S. government. All right, so Robin, can you briefly introduce yourself and just tell us about your military career? I'm Robin Cox. I am in the Utah Army National Guard. I've been in the National Guard my whole career. So I enlisted in 2006 when I was 18. And then I did ROTC at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, which is where we know each other from. I commissioned in 2010, stayed in the National Guard. And then I've been on active duty with the National Guard since spring of 2018. And that's included working as a plans officer in the state of Utah, and then deployment, then back to Utah. And then I went to the staff college in Leavenworth. And now I'm stationed at Fort Huachuca, Arizona on ADOS, so active duty operational support. Yeah, that's really, really quick and dirty, (laughs) my military career. So has there been a specific assignment that you've really been drawn to or that you have appreciated the most? So I actually, I really enjoyed my time at the U.S. Army Staff College in Leavenworth. It was nice to just be able to be a full-time student again while I was there. I did ILE, which, you know, is the professional development course for majors. And then I also got a master's degree from the University of Kansas in global and international studies. So it was a, it was a very intense year academically, but it was just, it was nice to just be able to focus on myself and study and read and develop myself professionally and not have to worry about like the typical army leadership stuff, you know, writing OERs and that kind of thing. So I enjoyed that. Um, I also really, honestly, my assignment on deployment was great too, because I got to be, I'm an intelligence officer. And while I was deployed, I pretty much just got to do analysis. So I was assigned as a senior analyst in the Combined Joint Intelligence Operations Center in Afghanistan. So I wasn't in command or doing, you know, S2 type stuff. I was actually just working as an analyst and that was very rewarding. So I also understand that you are a mom of two kiddos. At what stage in your military career did you have your kids? I was a first lieutenant when I got pregnant. So I had just moved. So when I first enlisted and then commissioned, I was in the Wisconsin National Guard. And then I 
I moved out to Utah in 2012 uh, because my husband at the time was from Utah and I was, you know, happy for a change of scenery. So I moved out to Utah and transferred to the Utah National Guard. I was a platoon leader in a human CI company in Utah. And I'd been married for about, well, I'd been married for a few months. My husband at the time and I started talking about, you know, possibly having kids. And I remember having this discussion and then having drill the next weekend and talking to my commander about possible deployment opportunities and how I wanted to go on a deployment and then telling my husband again and him being very confused as to like, he was like, wait a second, I thought we were going to have kids and now you're saying you want to go on a deployment. But I was always very kind of torn between these two, you know, like I wanted to have kids. I wanted to start a family, but I also wanted to do cool shit. And I always had wanted to deploy. So my I promoted to captain while I was pregnant with my first. I had two within their 20, yeah, 20 months apart. And while I was pregnant with my second, my husband was deployed. And so I had found out about the deployment because I was on orders for something. I don't know, like National Guard full-time orders. And I had gotten this email and I thought about it like, oh, I should go on this deployment. But then I, I sent it to him and I was like, you should volunteer for this. And then you go and then I'll go later, you know? So we actually were able to, we planned to get pregnant while he was gone so that I could spend the time that he was gone making another baby. So we were able to time it. So I got pregnant like right before he left and then he was gone for six months and he came back and then was there for the the final couple months. But I spent 12 years in the National Guard before I ever deployed. And that entire time, it was not for lack of trying. Like I was volunteering for stuff. They're just, the timing was off. Stuff wasn't available. I was wrong rank, wrong job, you know, whatever. So like I was always looking for something and I actually volunteered for a deployment when my daughter, my second child was six months old. I asked to go on a deployment because my, you know, my husband at the time had gone. And so then it was like my turn. And I'm like, this is perfect because I want to get out of this house. Like <laughs> baby, it's, it's too much work, you know, like you're ready, right? Yeah, I was ready. And it was a non-combat deployment to Kosovo. But I'm like, this is perfect. I volunteered. My battalion commander was like, I have other plans for you. Um, and so I ended up not going and that it ended up being a good, good choice, you know, to stay, but there was always this dichotomy of like wanting to be with my kids and loving my kids, but also just having this itch that I needed to scratch to go do something operational, not necessarily deploy, but just like do what I was trained to do. So tell me a little bit more about that balance of having kids and your career aspirations. Yeah. Balance is maybe not the best word for it because I don't know if I ever was able to balance those two. Um, It was always like a, like a tug of war. Like on one hand, I really wanted to be this individual, you know, go do fun things. But then on the other hand, like I, I had these babies that I loved. And I think that the having to make that decision, or even if it's not something that's mutually exclusive, but even having to consider that is one of the things we're so interested in. Just the idea that, oh, we have to think about that. Now it's like, oh, if I want to go do this cool thing, that also means I have to leave the kid behind. Even the fact that that process is something that women have to consider every single day is definitely not something that I thought about before we had this kid. It's like every single day you're remaking or changing or considering again one of those decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually, the deployment that I went on to Afghanistan in 2018 to 2019 
I did also volunteer for that one. And so it was interesting in my neighborhood, some of the other women there, their initial reaction is like, oh my God, I can't believe they're making you go. That's so horrible. You have to leave your children. You have to leave your family. And then I would tell them, actually, I volunteered. I'm really excited to go. And it was like, they could not understand it, you know, just mind blown. What is wrong with you? Why would you want to do that to your family? I think it's hard for people that are not in the military who have not signed up to serve to understand that mentality, you know, that just, that you can love your family to death, but you still have this desire to go serve, to do what you were trained to do and to be operational. A hundred percent. Okay. So we were talking about the fact that you have two kids. How was the, the pregnancy and the postpartum experience for you? So pregnancy was great. I've heard that people either get the hormones that make them feel amazing or the hormones that make them feel like shit. And I felt amazing. It was like the most feminine and glowy I've ever felt. My hair was like long and lush and beautiful. And um, I, I loved that. Childbirth as well was pretty smooth. Both my kids were born pretty fast. Oh, and I gained like 40 to 50 pounds with both my kids. I was just, a, I was huge. I felt huge, but then that all turned into like milk afterwards, (laughs) lots of milk. So that process all went very well, I think worked the way it should, but the recovery was difficult. I had a lot of like hormone fluctuations, which led to just like, some things are just weird. Like you get weirdly sensitive skin sometimes, or like sensitivity to foods or hot flashes. You know, I think like people don't, especially men don't realize that like when your hormones are just on this constant roller coaster, it messes with everything. And then on top of it, I, I do think I had quite a bit of postpartum depression, but it wasn't diagnosed with my first with my son. And then with my daughter, it wasn't diagnosed until nine months later. And at that point I, I had an appointment with a midwife and she gave me the the questionnaire for depression and everything. And she was like, Oh honey, at this point, it's not postpartum. Like you're just depressed. <laughs> so I was depressed, but also my son did not sleep through the night until after he was two years old. So I was extremely chronically sleep deprived. Thank God my daughter was a better sleeper. Cause otherwise I would have just, I think I would have died. <laughs> So do you mind telling us a little bit about like, where did you go from there? Did you end up seeking help or talking to somebody? So I was seeing midwives for the pregnancy. And then I think up to like a year postpartum, my daughter was, you know, just a little baby, nine months old, I guess. And I was looking after this toddler too. And I remember my husband at the time coming home from work early. And I was just so pissed. I realized like I was angry about everything. I could not find joy in any of the relationships that I had, like not with him, not with my children. I was extremely irritable. I never actually felt sad. You know, I wasn't weepy or like what you would imagine depression to be like, I guess, or what I thought depression would look like. I was just extremely irritable and unhappy most of the time. And it was that event that made me realize that I probably needed to talk to somebody and get some help. So I told the midwife because they can also prescribe for like postpartum depression and stuff like that. So they encouraged me to also meet with a counselor, you know, and do some like cognitive behavioral therapy type stuff, which I declined. So I basically just took drugs for a while. They put me on Prozac and it kind of, it knocked me out of that funk. And I stayed on that for a couple of years, I think. 
Thank you for sharing that because I think that's one of those things that you experience it or you hear about it from a close friend. And even as you maybe talk to a few people and you're like, oh, this is more common than I thought, you don't necessarily think, oh, this is like really common. Yeah. But I think the more people that are willing to share, then people don't feel so alone in the, oh, like I was sitting in the closet crying. Hey, it wasn't (laughs) just me. You know what I mean? So. And I can, so I have had like, I think three instances in my life that I can look back on where I've had what I would consider like a major depressive episode. And that's one of them. And since then I've learned to kind of recognize when they come on, it's like every, I don't know, a couple of years, like there's spread out, it seems. And it's like, I'm getting sick. Like I actually had one while I was in Afghanistan and my boss, who's a very fast walker. And I'm also a fast walker. And we were both walking to the DFAC and he made some comment about how I was walking slower than usual. And it was just these little things. Like I was walking slower. I was having trouble concentrating. I didn't have much of an appetite. Like these little things started to creep in and then it became very obvious. It was like, Oh, I recognize this from the last time this has happened. And I went back on the meds for a little bit to kind of knock me out of that funk. And then, I mean, I say, get me out of a funk. I feel like people use that phrase as if you can just snap yourself out of it, but it's not like that at all, you know, but I think for me anyways, and the depression that I experienced, I just needed a little extra help to like balance me out so that I could start to think more clearly. And for me, that involved taking medication for, you know, a amount of time until I felt like I was in a place where I could try going off of it. Thank you for talking us through that. Yeah, of course. So while you were on deployment, you had two kids back home, right? Mm -hmm. So how did you deal with that being a, a mom deployed away from your kiddos? So I was fortunate enough that where I was, I was able to call them pretty much once a day. So we had a scheduled time where I would call them in the morning and that was their bedtime back home. And so we'd talk about the day and say like goodnight prayers and then say goodnight. And so we kept that routine pretty much throughout the entire deployment. I also would record myself reading books to them and then I would send them the books and they could watch the recording and follow along the book. The USO had a program where you could actually go and like record yourself in a cute little reading room. They had like all kinds of books and then they would mail the the SD card with the book to your family. So there were two and four when I left and three and five when I came home. Um, So it was a good age for that, I guess. I think we're going to transition maybe a little bit towards another hat that you wear, which is as a tactical games athlete. Yes. I want to jump into this. I'm so ready. (laughs) Okay. First, can you just explain, like, give me a synopsis of what the tactical games is. So it's a competition that combines functional fitness and shooting. So if you think kind of like CrossFit or strongman type stuff, sandbags, farmer carries, those kinds of things. And then two gun. So rifle and pistol marksmanship. They're like two day competitions and they're run kind of similar to a CrossFit competition where you have three to four events throughout the day over two days, you have your fitness task, but you're doing it at a range. So you have to do fitness and then also shoot. Um, and the whole time you've got your, your full kit on. So body armor, ammo, rifle, and pistol is all on your person. And then you're scored based on time and accuracy, basically. Can you tell me a little bit about how and when you decided to start training for the tactical games? 
So I discovered the tactical games through their Instagram while I was in Afghanistan. I had been doing CrossFit at the time, but I wasn't like, I was always decently strong and okay at CrossFit and I competed in local competitions, but I was never good enough to really excel. So when I found out about the tactical games, I thought it looked really cool. And I saw it as an opportunity to combine the fitness skill that I had with shooting, you know, which I was decently good at, but needed some additional training. But I, I just thought as a sort of a niche opportunity as something that I could maybe excel at. So I continued with my training. I was doing comp train Ben Bergeron's program while I was in Afghanistan. And I just continued with that. And then when I got back, I continued doing CrossFit, but then also started working with a marksmanship coach that I met through the National Guard. And we started going to the range about once a week and then doing some like sport specific training, you know, involving more odd objects, rope climbs, sandbags, things like that. Okay. So then at this point, can you tell us how many times you've competed and kind of how that's gone? But then also, what does your training look like? Like daily, weekly, when you are training and do you get an off season? How long does that last? So I've done now six competitions. My first one was in June of 2020. And then I qualified for nationals at that one. So then I competed in the 2020 nationals. And then in the 2021 season, I competed in March in Utah. And then I had kind of three right in a row. So in September, I went to South Carolina. And then October, I competed in Arizona. And then November, I was at nationals again in Texas, where I got third. Wow. So (laughs) yeah, it was a lot. Okay, so to answer your off season question, there's not like their slogan, I'm actually wearing a shirt, it says no off season. (laughs) That's perfect. It's like you set me up for that, but I didn't see it before this. It is their slogan or tagline, but even the the people that are in charge of it. So Jared, the owner recognizes that the idea of no off season is not really applicable to like highly competitive athletes. You can't just constantly be peaking. It's more of this idea of like tactical professionals have to be always ready to go. Like you can't just decide oh, I'm in a bulking season. I'm just going to get really fat and not do any cardio whatsoever. You know, like right. if you're a tactical professional, that's not really an option for you. For competitors in the tactical games, there is a little bit of a break between nationals in November and then their first competition of the new season, the new calendar year starts in February. So even people that want to compete in all the events have a little bit of a break over the holidays. But what I found competing three months in a row, that completely burned me out, broke me down. You kind of like taper before a competition so that you're rested. And then you're like going as hard as possible, trying to peak, you know, just redlining the whole time. And then there's this recovery period right afterwards. And so you're kind of in recovery. And then before you know it, you're already tapering again. So doing one competition every month for three months, by the time I got to nationals, I was, I mean, I'm glad I didn't get injured. It was very taxing on me, both physically and mentally, because it's not just your body that's peaking or that that has to be 100% that entire competition weekend. It's your mind too, and the stress of it and the focus that it takes. And then on top of that, I still have like a normal job, you know? So, so I'd come back, go to work, feel like I needed another weekend. Um, It was very stressful. So 
I'm trying to manage this next season a little bit differently. I have not decided what my first competition is going to be because I'm waiting. I want to go back to South Carolina. GTI Government Training Institute is just this wild venue. It's a decommissioned nuclear plant that was never active. So it's not like full of radiation. And now it's just this tactical mount site training playground with towers and like hallways and catwalks and outdoor stuff and indoor stuff and It was so much fun. So they are bringing it back this year, uh, but they don't have a set date yet. So I'm kind of waiting to find out what that date is so that I can pick another competition that's going to be a little bit offset from it. But I'm not planning on competing before May because I want to be able to do like a full training cycle, like get a good strength cycle in, focus on some of my weaknesses before I throw myself into competition again. So I'm planning on probably just doing two regular competitions and then hoping obviously to qualify again for nationals in November. As far as training goes, the tactical games has put out a few different training options specifically for people that are training for the tactical games. So I do Zach Forrest's elite programming, which is called tactical games protocol. And I typically spend about 90 minutes to two hours sometimes in the gym, five to six days a week. I always take Sunday as a rest day. And then Sundays are my range day. I have a a community here that I shoot with on Sundays that has access to a law enforcement range. So we're able to like move around and set up barricades and things like that and do a little bit more dynamic stuff than you would be able to do typically at a public range. So I go out there and shoot on Sundays. Kind of related, can you share with us your training philosophy as it relates to nutrition, sleep, or recovery? Absolutely. This is like one of my favorite questions. I get very passionate about this. I always tell people that gains do not happen in the gym. Gains happen during recovery. So like a lot of people, they think that they can just go to the gym, like they need to go hard every day and that's how they're going to get stronger. That's how they're going to get more fit, but they're eating trash. They're not sleeping enough, you know, or they're doing like two a days. They don't allow themselves to recover. What I always tell people then is that what you're doing in the gym is putting your body under stress intentionally. You're actually making yourself temporarily weaker in order to force an adaptation, that adaptation is going to be, you know, you put on muscle mass or increase your VO two max or whatever. It's your, the gains that you want to get, but that's not happening while you're in the gym. It's happening in your recovery period in between your sessions. So you need to go hard enough in the gym to produce that stress, but then you also need to make sure that you're fueling your body for recovery, that you're allowing it to go through its full, like, sleep cycle, when all that great recovery happens, that you're hydrating and that you're managing stress. So your, your energy is not being like leached to other places that it doesn't need to go. And then I also, I try to prioritize sleep more, which is really hard. Like in the military, you know, that it's like a badge of honor to be sleep deprived in some situations. Managing stress is a huge one. Like I found that it's just really hard to to be on top of my game, to like focus in the gym or to have the energy that I need to have good productive training sessions when I'm not managing stress. And then diet is huge. I make sure that I'm getting enough protein to allow my muscles to recover and grow. And then I'm eating enough calories, enough carbs while also not eating too much. I find that all of those things are connected. If my sleep is off, if my diet is off, my training is off. And then 
the opposite also applies. If my training is off, I notice my digestion is off or I can't sleep as well, things like that. So it's all, I mean, you know, Sam, holistic health and fitness is trying to teach the army this concept that it is all connected. They're trying so hard. And I think we're making some strides, but it's also, it's a lot of culture and it's a lot of, like you said, if it's a badge of honor to be sleep deprived, and that's what they're getting from, you know, senior NCOs who have been in for a long time or their officers like, I only sleep four hours a night. And then I dip for breakfast and I run that's four miles. Why can't you do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But, but ah, it's such a culture shift. Yeah. And then you see people like people love to supplement. I like pre-workout because it gets me hyped, you know, so I'm not going to knock pre-workout, but people have their energy drinks and their proteins and like all this stuff. Honestly, a lot of people could just benefit from analyzing those little variables in their life, like their sleep and their diet, you know, the really easy stuff or maybe not easy, but simple, you know, it's, it's really straightforward. If you just improve one of those aspects, you could see massive gains that, you know, and you don't have to spend a ridiculous amount of money on supplements. But for some reason, man, those supplement companies get us. This could be a whole other series. Forget episode. I could talk supplements all day long. (laughs) I would love to add more sleep to my lifestyle personally. Right. Us too. Yeah. (laughs) I was just going to ask how you think all of these skills that you've learned in the tactical games and with your training and whatnot have helped you be a better soldier and mother and leader. So because I really enjoy training and fitness, I tend to use sort of gym metaphors in my everyday life. And I find that a lot of the principles and strategies that I use in physical training also are strategies that I can use just in work, my home life, social life, that kind of thing. For one thing, when you're training, when your heart rate is high and your muscles are burning, your body is uncomfortable. And because your body is uncomfortable, your mind is also uncomfortable. And so you have this voice in your head. Maybe it's telling you, stop, this sucks. We hate this. Please stop. Or that voice in your head when you're running, that's doing fractions the whole time. Like, I don't know if you guys do that, but I'm always like, I'm a third of the way to halfway, you know? (laughs) That is me all the time. Or even when it's like, there's a 20 minute AMRAP. I'm at like five minutes in. I'm like, I'm a quarter of the way there. I'm now 40% of the way there. This is why they teach us fractions in elementary school. So we can get through long workouts, but anyway, so it's, it's mental training too, because you're, you're trying to control what your inner voice is telling you. And you're trying to like find mental strategies to get through uncomfortable and difficult tasks. So when you have to dig deep into like a dark place to scrape up some motivation to continue, those are skills that you can translate into other aspects of life. And you just learn, you learn about yourself, you know, you learn what works, what doesn't work, what motivates you, what you hate, what you love. And then on top of that, it just builds confidence. When I feel physically strong, I also feel mentally strong and I feel capable, you know, it feels good to feel strong and confident and competent. Like you're, a benefit to society that you can benefit your family, you know, your community, your unit, and not be a liability. Yeah, I completely agree with a lot of what you just said. And I think about now, you know, some of my training philosophies, and it's like trying to even though Elliot's only six months old, instill some of that, the discipline and the time management and the like, hey, this is hard, but 
you know, if we keep on practicing it, we're going to learn to to get through this. Yeah, absolutely. But a six-month-old doesn't really take my advice right no. now. <laughs> I've tried that on my kids too. It doesn't really work. It's like more funny <laughs> than it is for them. Absolutely. <laughs> is there anything else that you would like to add about like juggling your multiple hats as a mom, a tactical games athlete, an army officer? I mean... You're just kind of doing a lot of things. A National Guard officer who's been on active <laughs> yeah. duty for the last few years, all of it. So, okay. So Alyssa and I kind of touched on this before and I'll, I'll sort of give you the full, like how this all kind of fits together or at least how I conceptualize it all in my mind, but I'll just give, I'm just going to put it all out there. Um, okay. So I went, I volunteered for this deployment to Afghanistan. My kids were two and four. I was pretty depressed at the time and feeling very trapped, I guess, or unhappy in my, in my marriage and not super excited about being a mother. I kind of, I feel even to this day, I'm kind of like, I love my kids to death, but I'm not, I don't love being a mother. I don't love parenting. Um, so, and that's maybe something that people often don't realize until they actually have kids. They like the idea of kids, but then when they have them, they're like, this isn't really my thing. And so I was at this point in my life where everything looked so great on paper. You know, we had a great house, marriage, dog, cat, boy, girl, like very nuclear, perfect looking family. But I was just absolutely miserable. And I volunteered for this deployment partly, I mean, partly because I had wanted to since I started my career um, also to get away from that. And then I actually had this plan that I was going to kill myself on my deployment because I was so unhappy and so depressed. I kind of thought like I could end on a high note. You know, I always wanted to deploy. I'd go do a good job. My kids would never have to know that I had committed suicide. Like I could be a war hero to them or whatever, you know, like it seemed at the time, <laughs> looking back on it, I'm like, wow, you're crazy. But at the time it seemed like a good idea just because of that place where I was in. So I deployed. And then while I was deployed, I was part of a team that really, like, I felt really valued. I, I was enjoying the work that I did. And then also I felt like what we were doing as a team was making a difference. And my teammates, like we were, you know, we reinforced to each other that each member of this team was important even just little things like my boss would tell me like, I couldn't go on. He didn't want me to go on ground movement and you know, that I should take air instead, because if something happened to me, who was going to replace me? Like there was no replacement, you know? So I felt like I was a valued member of a team. Um, and then on top of it, my roommate is like my best friend. She's so great. And I knew that like, if I had done that, cause I would, I would think about it. Like while I was there, I was thinking like, how am I going to do this? And it just kept coming back to like, she's going to be the one probably to find me. And I didn't want her to go through that, you know? So when in the army, when they talk about building cohesive teams and when they talk about like, you know, being there for your battle buddy, like really honestly, in my experience, that is what saved me. Just being part of a cohesive team, my buddy looking out for me, you know, and like feeling like I was, I was part of something that I was a valued person and member of a team. And so I kind of like put that aside and actually told my husband at the time. And we started working through that and doing some counseling together over video chat. And 
it was mostly, I mean, it was a combination of things. It wasn't just my kids, obviously it was just the entire lifestyle. Like I, I felt like once I started coming out of my shell in Afghanistan and like, I could be sort of like outgoing and aggressive, not like, not like in a bad way, but just, you know, assertive, I guess assertive is a better word. Nobody was trying to temper me or put me into this, like this traditional gender role. I was just doing what I was good at and was being valued for it. And so I worked my ass off. It was great. But by the end of it, I was totally burned out. And I, so I had, I learned about the tactical games and was excited to like train for this. And that gave me something to kind of focus on, to take my mind off this other, these other stressors and like my marriage feeling like it was falling apart while I was on deployment. I lost about 20, almost 20 pounds while I was deployed um, just because of honestly stress for the most part. And then I was excited to go home. Things seemed like they were moving in a positive direction with my marriage. I had been working every single day of my deployment. So obviously was tired and burned out and excited for a break. And then we started the redeployment process to go home. So we, we went from Kabul to Bagram and then Bagram to Kuwait. And when we started moving from Kabul to Bagram, that's when I started to feel this just the sinking feeling in my gut, you know, that I did not want to go home. And then by the time we got to Kuwait, I was like full on sick. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was spending like four hours in the gym because we weren't working, you know, just to take my mind off things. But the whole time being in this terrible calorie deficit because I was barely eating, I just felt like absolute shit. So I told my husband at the time, finally just called him and said like, this is what I'm feeling. And I said, I don't want to come home. And that was when I think it, he accepted it too, that it just wasn't going to work. You know, he was like, well, I don't want you to hurt yourself. So what do we need to do to fix this? And so he was like, well, then we should just start the process for divorce. And it was like a weight was lifted off me. I mean, he is not a bad person in any way. And like, I think it came from, you know, it was rooted in the fact that we, he cared about me and I still cared about him too. And our kids but I just needed to get away from, get out of that lifestyle. And so when I came back, I moved into an apartment immediately. And I think that helped my kids with the transition too, because they were still young. I've been gone for, you know, almost a year counting the pre-deployment stuff for national guard and then just came back, but was living in an apartment. So they were, we were kind of stacked the changes so that it was less disruptive maybe. And then because my, my husband, ex-husband and I were civil, you know, we, constantly reinforce to the kids that we're still family. We still love you, you know, mom, dad, two kids, like still a family. It's just that mom and dad aren't married anymore. And, you know, we tried to make it as easy for them as possible. And I think, I think it worked out. Okay. So far, like they seem to be okay with it. He's since remarried. And my daughter is just like over the moon that now she has another mom and she just loves everybody, you know? And so maybe like later in life, when they're adults and they can articulate like the, you know, the formative years of their life and what shapes them, maybe they'll, they'll have other things to say about it. But I just, the whole time, you know, it was a bad situation and I feel like I did what I had to do. And there are times where I feel like I've just abandoned my children because now he has primary custody and I live on my own. But a good friend of mine reminds me that if I hadn't made that change, they might not even have a mother right now, you know? So I did what I had to do. And now I find that I can still be a mother to them. And I actually do a lot better with the 
the strictly delineated parenting time. So I know when my time starts and when it ends, you know, and I can fill that time with positive attitude, positive experiences. And that seems to work a little bit better for me than the place that I was at before, where it was just like this endless stress. Yeah. And I think, well, one, I am so glad that you had people looking out for you and helped you get to this position where you are today. But also, like every mom's journey is different. You're still a mother. I mean, yeah. it's just like how you get there and what you do with it. And But you're also all the other pieces. And I think it becomes easy to lose the other pieces and then can be really hard to find that balance. And when I say lose, it's not always negative. Sometimes you dive in both feet and you're like, oh, this is awesome. I love being a mom. Honestly, that's where I am right now. But sometimes I catch myself and I'm like, oh, what do I, what am I doing that's not mom related today? Just to kind of like keep that peace because I used to have a whole life before I had a kid six months ago. I really appreciate you sharing that story because I think that balance can be way trickier than we want to think about sometimes. Yeah. I think when I was deployed, it gave me a taste of like, so my parents weren't very, weren't at all supportive of me joining the military. So I tried to like do something, you know, that was safer, like stay in the national guard. And then even in my marriage, like I wanted to kind of, I wanted to do the right thing. And anybody that's familiar with Utah and like the Mormon culture, like I kind of wanted to fit into this nice cookie cutter gender role box thing that I never really fit into. And then with my kids, like I, I sacrificed so much for my kids in terms of just like my body, my time, you know, all that stuff. And so then when I deployed, it was like, all of a sudden I was free to just be my own person. Nobody was trying to like temper me. I could just be me and be appreciated for that too. And so it was really hard experiencing that to go back to a place where I felt like I was being put into a box that I didn't fit into. Since my divorce, I've I've done a lot of things that I would never have done while I was married. And I'm really enjoying just being single in my thirties and like having this renewed, I mean, maybe it's a midlife crisis, but whatever, it's fun, <laughs> you know, doing things for myself and taking some time to do what I want to do and not worry so much about pleasing others. Being a whole person. I'm just really appreciative that you found the place that you are in and that you're happy. Yeah. I mean, it's still a constant journey, obviously still learning things, still trying to balance, like being there for my kids and spending time with them. And it's, yeah, it's just I I look at it like chapters of your life. You move through, I always think of like the Odyssey and how it goes. There's different chapters and each chapter has like different characters, different lessons you learn. So this chapter that I'm in right now, I feel like I'm, I'm learning things now. And then I'll eventually move into another phase of my life where be different people, different place. Cause the army is always making me move, you know? So it's definitely going to be a different place. And always lessons to be learned and ways to grow. Yeah, I think that's a great way to think of it. Those chapters, every time they make you move. Sometimes you get to make your own. Sometimes they tell you, uh, hey, new chapter, starting now. (laughs) Well, I don't want to cut us off, but in our current chapter, the kid has been, grandma's watching him, but he has been wailing for some time now. So (laughs) we should probably move towards wrapping up. This has been so great chatting with you. I'm thrilled to meet you and also get to talk about all this stuff today. I hope this is not the last time we talk. Yeah, I think we're going to wrap up, at least with the formal portion here. Thank you, Robin, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. 
For any of you interested in hearing more about Robin's tactical games career or wondering how to get involved with the tactical games, we hope you'll tune in to our upcoming bonus episode. We'll chat in detail about how to get involved, training opportunities for female athletes, and more. Being a tactical mother can be rewarding, but can also be very challenging. If you are struggling, please reach out. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24 hours a day at 800-273-8255. Thanks for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review. We'll be releasing new episodes every other week, so please subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date. If you'd like to get in touch, shoot us an email at tacticalmothers at gmail.com and follow us or reach out on Twitter at Tactical Mothers or Instagram at Tactical as a Mother. Until next time, stay strong, stay tactical, stay you.